that's one side of the business that I really enjoy dealing with my tenants. The main reason is because most of my tenants, and you know that, are from the francophone community. It doesn't require a lot of work, to be honest. Hey, investors, you are listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. Welcome, investor community. This is Garrett Wong, your host of the podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Marowen Abed, a local real estate investor here in Winnipeg. We spoke about a lot of topics, but the conversation was dominated by secondary suites. Marowen was kind enough to share his knowledge and experience and is considered the local expert in this asset class. Tons of great content and nuggets here for you. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Okay, welcome investor community. Today I have Marowen Abed, a local investor here in Winnipeg. We're going to be speaking today about a variety of topics. Marowen, welcome. Thank you, Garrett. Thanks for the invite. Not a problem. Happy to uh, hang out with you for a little bit here. So for our audience uh, who don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. So I'm a husband and a dad. This is what takes most of my time, as uh, probably like you. I'm a real estate investor. I've landed in Canada in 2016. And I am full-time employee. I'm a sales and marketing manager. Uh, so busy life. And I guess that's it as a summary. <laughs> um, I understand that uh, you've come to Canada I don't know. When, when, uh, recently, I know that yeah, I've seen some posts on social media. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So we are from Algeria. So we moved here in April 2016. And don't ask me why Winnipeg. I don't know. People <laughs> keep asking me this question. And I say, why not? You know, I just love the city. I just love the vibes and the people. And um, so this is the only city where we lived since we landed. Again, back in 2016, we arrived. We didn't almost know anybody. Like we had a few friends that we connected with through social media and other websites. And we just started building ourselves from the scratch. Nice. I know that um, immigration and newcomers is a passion of yours. Um, is that because of your own story or is there something else behind that? Absolutely. So... Basically, when I started looking for different immigration processes, uh, for francophones like me, the basic option was always Quebec. And to me, that wasn't really an option because, I don't know, I just don't like the mood there. And like all the English side of Canada was like hidden for francophones. Like you couldn't find any process or like information about how to do to immigrate anywhere else in Canada. So I started digging and I found out that 
Manitoba had like a very easy and great program where you can immigrate in, let's say, 18 months or a year, where Quebec was taking like five, six years. So to me, it was an opportunity to make it just easy. So I, um, I, wrote, I wrote a guide on how to immigrate to Manitoba. Um, I put that on a blog and we started like reaching many, many people all around the francophone world. And then we decided to uh, open a Facebook group. And today we have over 144,000 people in our group that we're helping on a daily basis. That's incredible. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I love the big vision and I know you give back a lot to your community. So, so tell me about real estate. I mean, you're a real estate investor, you're, you're new to Canada. How, how did you, uh, what was the thought process behind that? So the thought process, I would say the first thought was how are we going to do, uh, in retirement? I landed here when I was 32. So I've already lost probably, you know, 10 years of work in Canada we didn't have enough money in Canadian dollars. Like we had a lot back home, but when you convert it, it's like just one year of living expenses. So you have to think about your old days and how you are going to do and seeing many people struggling in Canada and the US. So I started looking into different options. Lucky me. I have multiple friends who are real estate investors uh, that I knew from back home. And most of them were doing very well. Some were in Manitoba, some were in Quebec. And because I'm very, um, I like asking a lot of questions. I'm very curious. So we really got into like details and details and details. Like, how do you do that? What is the cash flow? Uh, you know, how do you deal with your tenants? And the more I knew about that, the more I was convinced that that was the part I was looking to start. Nice. So tell me about the operations. What does it look like today compared to when you started? Um, oh, great question. I would say, you know, with the experience and the knowledge, things go fast. Uh, it was tougher when I started. I, I'll probably start by telling you about my first deal. So my first deal was a triplex that we bought here in Winnipeg in St. Boniface. And I didn't know a lot about, you know, how to do renovations, how to manage tenants, how, how to do the birth strategy, what refinance was. So I bought it, had a five-year fixed mortgage on it, and I thought it was okay. But then, you know, when we took possession, we figured like, hey, we could probably renovate this thing because it's very, very old. It's the, the, the building is from 1898. So you can imagine stone foundation, bad insulation, uh, knob and tube, and even insurance was giving us a hard time. So I was like, okay, we do have money on the side. Let's just renovate. And we just had our third kid at that time. My, my son was born in December. We took possession in February. And I wanted to do the renovations myself. And that was the worst idea. Uh -huh. ever. Like, yeah, I hear that worst. a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, it was the worst. Like I was, 
I I listened to like two or three friends who had the skills, and one of them was like, "Okay, I can give you I can give you a hand. You know, let's do the drywall, let's do this and that." So we started, but you know, when you don't have the skills, it takes you three hours to do something that a professional can do in fifteen minutes. So it was a very bad experience for me, for my wife too, because I was, you know, working full time, going back home, changing my clothes and going to the triplex doing the renovations. And the first three months, I didn't even see my son, you know, growing. And I realized after that, like, hey, what are you doing? Like, just pay the price, hire people, you know, get professionals. Because time is, you know, your most important asset there. And so I started hiring different people. I didn't know who to hire. Again, other mistakes. People start. They don't keep working for you. They disappear. You know, we lost uh, we lost some money and holding costs. It wasn't that bad because it's uh, it's a triplex. We were able to keep two tenants at a time, renovate one unit, and then move to the other to the other one. But it was definitely a great, um, a great experience. Now, what's different today is we we were able to build the knowledge, you know. So whenever I go to a property to assess, even on a piece of paper, I know from the beginning if it's worth it or not. And when we buy it, we start to renovate. We know exactly like how to manage it, who to hire very important what the ARV is because usually you make mistakes and now I know that I need to take a variable mortgage instead of a fixed five years because I had to pay like 10 grand penalty to refinance that triplex so you know you pay the price over the years it was worth it but if I had to change something about it today is I would probably have invested in uh, in coaching probably you know get connected with more professional people you learn from them it's it takes less time yes it takes some money but it takes less time you know to get where i am today yeah that's interesting because uh one of my future podcasts is going to be on the concept of coaching i'm not a coach myself and and some coaching packages are you know they're expensive and they are what they are but i i mean i think the overlying theme that you you speak to anybody coaching collapses time you know it collapses time and uh, you know the money that you're spending arguably you could make maybe if if you choose the right coach of course you could make it 10 times over um you know yeah this is very important what you're saying if you choose the right coach and the right program because not all programs not are not all coach uh, coaches sorry are fit for you you know it really depends yeah, absolutely. Would you say that um, your your story and I, <laughs> I I was smiling. I know that the viewers can't see me smiling in, in this interview, but I'm smiling because I did the exact same thing on my very first rental. Um, I did all of the renovations myself. Um, I was 27 years old. Um, my my uh, business partner and I got our dads there, and you know we're renovating for a couple of months, but. Um, I think I had a video on this last year, but it's um, what I call holding the flashlight. You know, I, I got the plumber in, I offered to hold the flashlight, I learned about plumbing. That 
went on to have me learning to do the plumbing myself and eventually obviously realizing that time is money. And, but it, it, I would say, you know, it probably gave you the knowledge to be able to manage those trades when the time came. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you, you find out that, you know, yes, time is money, but at the same time, you know, you can see the challenges, you can see where it's easy, when it's not easy. And, you know, the more you do it, the more you hire people, the more deals you make, the more experienced you are. You know, even today, if I'm hiring someone, that doesn't mean I will not be, you know, going to the property and checking their job and asking questions and getting different uh, opinions. Like even when you have a contractor in place, it is very important to get, you know, other investors with you, go visit with you and give you their opinion. If there are any issues, you could probably find, you know, very creative solutions. And we've been pretty good at that. Oh, very good. So you use a whole bunch of different uh, contractors, obviously, um, I imagine property management. Do you do the management yourself or do you, do you piece that out as well? Well, right now I do the management myself. Uh, I might be a client for you in the future. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know what that's that's one side of the business that I really enjoy dealing with my tenants. The main reason is because most of my tenants, and you know that, are from the francophone community. Most of them are newcomers. Uh, so we get to know each other through our Facebook group. So it's easier for us. And because all our units are renovated, you know, that it, it doesn't require a lot of work, to be honest. So usually you're doing with sewer backup or, you know, mice or, you know, all that kind of things where it, it's not like intense in terms of property management. Yes. Well, I, and there, there's a lesson in there, too you know, renovating to the point that everything is done in the property, it's only the surprises, right? Because the preventative maintenance is already done at the very beginning rather than, you know, Friday night, midnight <laughs> when something breaks. Yeah, but you still get that. You still get that. Usually it's a long weekend and Friday night. I don't know why, but all sewer backups, all of them, all of them, all the ones I had were either on a long weekend or on a Friday night. I'm not sure why. You know, we, uh, <laughs> I've been doing this for so long and I, I think you're right. I don't know what it is, but uh, we have a lot of data. I should actually put that on a graph and publish it. That's <laughs> funny. Um, so let's transition a little bit. I know that um, you, you do a lot of secondary suites. And for our listeners, why don't you just tell me about what a secondary suite is and, and what attracted you to that brand of asset? Sure. So secondary suite, as defined by the city of Winnipeg, is a self-contained suite in an existing building. So it could be an attached secondary suite or a detached secondary suite. Uh, I haven't done any detached secondary suite. I've done only attached because they're cheaper to make. So if I give you an example, uh, because we have so many houses here in Winnipeg with basements, so it would be just closing off that basement, putting a suite there, and having two tenants instead of one, basically. Okay. So essentially, like a duplex. 
Exactly. It is It is a duplex, uh, but legally you could not call it a duplex. Really, in terms, like the only difference will be, you know, the zoning and some like technical requirements like uh, fire separation, for example, things like that. Um, I would not get into details because it's going to be probably too much, but uh, they're basically similar. Okay. Yeah, because I know that uh, to convert a single family home into a duplex, it's quite a process at, uh, with the city. You know, you have to apply for zoning, variances, you know, there's probably hearings you have to go through. What is the, uh, what is the paperwork process look like to, to, uh, to get a secondary suite going? It's very easy. It is very easy because since 2018, if I remember correctly, one of the city councillors, actually the city councillor of St. Boniface, was fighting to get uh, the secondary suites approved in a fast way. So he pushed to have them as uh, what we call a permitted use instead of a conditional use. So conditional use means you have to go through a process, get approvals, uh, sometimes go through hearings where a permitted use is if you meet all the criterias, they cannot say no. So there are a few requirements that needs to be met, that need to be met, like uh, the secondary suite, for example, cannot be more than 33% of the total square footage of, um, of the building. It has, it, need, it has a separate entrance, but it can't be like facing the street. It has to be on the side uh, or in the back. You know, a few things like this. And then the process itself, it's just one form that you need to fill. You need to submit your drawings and basically that's it. And pay the fees, of course. Uh, mm. and, and so you say permitted, or sorry, um, what was the term you used? There's conditional and... Permitted use. Permitted use, yes. So if it's permitted use, what is the typical time frame from submitting an application to them saying, okay, you can now construct your secondary suite? Well, it could be On a month... It could be a month, it could be six months, depending on who you are dealing with at the city level. Um, and, you know, you know, dr during COVID, it's been a nightmare, to be of honest. Of course, of course. So I would say the average time frame would be probably two to three months. But that doesn't prevent you from starting the work. So you can strip your basement if you're redoing the basement. You could renovate your top floor if you're uh, planning to renovate the top floor. So it's pretty, I would say, efficient in terms of holding costs because you don't have to wait for the permit to be issued to start working on it because you know it's going to be approved. Like there's going to be few changes on your drawings, like maybe, you know, moving a wall or uh, moving the mechanicals or something like that. Um, so you don't want to start framing, for example. But anyway, like you have to do your rough-in, do your sewer first. They come to inspect before doing anything else. So it's uh, it's a pretty easy process, I would say. Okay. So in terms of permits, then, is that separate from the secondary suite process? 
Meaning, I mean, you know, let's say that I have plumbing and HVAC and electrical. Um, is that tied to the secondary suite permit or you're allowed to do that stuff, but you just can't use it as a secondary suite if that the other one doesn't pass? No. So you have to pass, you have to get your secondary suite permit first and then apply for your electrical and uh, plumbing. Okay, so plumbing is one permit, electrical is two permits, uh, because you have to separate the the, the hydro, basically. Uh, heating systems have to be separated, but you cannot apply for them be, before you get the permit approved, because once you get the permit approved, you'll see on the city website that you have two addresses. So if, let's say, your address is 123, you get to see 123 and then 123A. And that's when you can apply for different permits. Interesting. Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital, or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now, back to the show. This is me being a little bit naive, but I'm sure our, our listeners would appreciate the question. In terms of utilities, you said that, you know, is it a requirement to separate? Because obviously a single family home, could you not have a secondary suite and say all utilities included, or does it have to be separate? So hydro has to be separate. Heating systems have to be separate. So you could probably, like you could have two gas meters, but we usually do like baseboard heating in the basement and then we keep the furnace for the top level. Water doesn't have to be separated, but as you know, we separate it because it's more efficient and your ARV climbs uh, when you have the utilities separated. Okay. The... Baseboard heat in the basement, I think I know this answer, but again, for the, the benefit of our listeners, because we're all about learning here, um, why do you do the baseboard electrical heat in the basement? Is that because it's easier to run wires or? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a fan of uh, gas furnaces because it's more efficient, it's cheaper, and it's better to keep a tenant, definitely. But when you're working in a basement, especially in a 50s or 60s bungalow, usually you don't have, you know, the um, 
enough height. Like we're not talking about a nine feet uh, height. We're talking about yeah, probably seven or something like that, you know? So if you have ducts running all around, you're losing a lot of space and you need like very short people to live in your basement. You lose a lot of light. It's it's more efficient in terms of space. Uh, it's more efficient in terms of cost for yourself, but it's definitely less efficient for tenants. So, I mean, cash flow wise, I think it's fairly obvious, but I mean, if you can rent out a, I don't know, a single family home, 1960s, bungalow, let's say for 15, 1600, how does that change the the numbers by putting a secondary suite? Because I'm, I'm guessing you can't charge the same for the upstairs because it doesn't come with a basement. So I have a perfect example. I have a 60s bungalow in St. Boniface. It's a three bedroom, 1300 square foot. Well, it had a full basement, so we renovated the basement. If you rent it as a single family, you could probably rent it for seventeen fifty because of the location. Now I'm renting the upper unit uh, with the garage at fifteen fifty, so basically we're losing just two hundred bucks, and the bas- basement is rented for eleven eighty. So you can you can see the difference. Now it doesn't mean you're making more cash flow because you're you're jacking up your ARV, so you're refinancing at a higher at a higher amount means you know higher cost. Your property taxes are increasing. Your maintenance cost is increasing too. Uh, you do have a bit of more vacancy sometimes because well you know basement units are not the most attractive ones. But if you know how to price it and if you manage your tenants uh, the proper way, it, it's definitely a game changer. Nice. The uh, ARV, does it um, change proportionately to the amount of money that you're spending? I'm saying specifically for the Burr strategy. Yeah, so my numbers were showing that to get a secondary suite in a basement, it costs 60 grand the ARV will jump by 100 grand compared to the ARV of a single family. Now, the challenge is we don't have enough comparables for secondary suites. The um, appraisers don't like to compare them to duplexes because they say they're like a different animal, which I disagree with. Like it's, it's a duplex, right? But at the end of the day, you would have to work with uh, a very, very knowledgeable appraiser. So you have to pick the right lender who let you use your own appraisers or the appraisers who know what they're talking about. I had a gap or, yeah, like a difference on a, on a 450,000 secondary suite ARV. I had a gap of 50 grand between two appraisers. You know, that's that's more than 10%. So you can imagine the challenge sometimes. Yes, no, uh, for sure. But I would say, you know, the secondary suites, like you said, 2018, I think you said, uh, at City. Um, you know, we're only, uh, at least the time of recording this podcast, it's uh, 2022. Five years is a very short period of time. 
So maybe over the next decade, as more and more people are taking advantage of secondary suites, there will be more data. So hopefully that will become less of a challenge in the future. Absolutely. Well, people are, from what I've seen, there are many, many investors who are doing secondary suites. But because there's because they're sweet, they don't sell them. They keep them. So <laughs> it doesn't give you enough, you know, comparables, unfortunately. But we will see more and more, yes, in a decade. Um, after a decade, probably, yeah. Yeah, I know that I have a lot of clients who are buying brand new secondary suites, like right from the ground up on vacant land. And I think those are probably going to skew the numbers a little bit too, because you're dealing with 1960s, you can't compare it to new new construction, but you kind of can because the income is the same, right? Yeah. So um, I have seven infills on the go uh, with secondary suites. Yes. Like, I don't think you can compare them in a way where they're more modern. The area is usually better and they're larger. So you can have like a three bedroom in two stories where what we're doing today is the secondary suite is basically on the top floor and we put the three bedrooms in the basement because usually people don't need a lot of light in their bedrooms. They need light in the kitchen, in the living room. So the main floor will be your kitchen, living room, living area for the main suite. The bedrooms will be downstairs and upstairs, there's going to be a two bedroom suite. These appraise higher and you can rent them for uh, better rent and you can keep the tenant longer yes because they're not renting a quote-unquote basement unit right that's so correct there's a stigma yeah. associated with basement units with security and lighting like you said very interesting yeah hmm. so what it's uh, let's think back to your your latest secondary suite conversion what is different now versus your very first one? What lessons have you learned? Um, good question. I think the lessons we learned were, you know, the process itself and how to deal with the city. Because uh, the what what we did for our first secondary suite, you know, we didn't want to guess. We booked a meeting with the city. So I don't know if you were aware of that, but you can request to meet with city inspectors from different departments, so zoning, housing, whatever, you know, inspector you'll get. So you can meet with them and they take you through the process. So I think we paid something like 600 bucks, but it paid us like very well, you know, like we got all the details. We even had people contradicting themselves during that meeting, you know, different departments. So it was it was a great learning strategy for us. And we took notes, we recorded, we sent emails after that saying, hey, this is what we understood, this, 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 this. Uh, please confirm. So they confirmed. And then whenever we had an inspector who said something different, we would confront him like using that email saying, hey, I was talking to the senior housing manager and this is what he was saying. So... Are you saying things are different? So he would go check again and get back to us and say, well, no, no, not, like you're right. And he was right and I was wrong. You know, um, that was very useful. Wow. And is that project by project or did you just do this once? No, we did it once. You don't have to do it project by project. 
Okay. And you said it costs money to do this in terms of consultation time, or is it just a, a service the city uh, charges out? Yeah, it's the the city charges you, I think, one fifty or two hundred bucks an hour per person. Okay. Well, that's uh, almost like coaching in reverse, though, right? I mean, that's how much time did that save you? Exactly. You know, brilliant. Yeah. Hmm. So, what is uh, what is one piece of advice you can give to our audience if they wanted to take on a challenge like a secondary suite? Well, the first piece of advice I would say is like get the knowledge first. Don't try to do it. You know, like don't start a project and then think about it. Like it has to be prepared. Get get connected with someone who has done secondary suites. Like I get many questions from different people to the extent where I started, you know, charging for my time because it was too much. You know, now you you filter you filter a bit more. But it, it's very important, you know, to know what a secondary suite is, what the conditions are. If you can meet with the city, do it because it's uh, there's a lot of value there and they're going to give you all the details because whatever you see on the city website, that's just a summary. There are a few things that you don't know. For example, I'll give you just one example, you know, dealing with the mechanical room. If you put the HRV inside where, well, you have to uh, put like smoke, separation, close with the drywall, close your ceiling with the drywall. So you can imagine like closing a mechanical room with drywall is just crazy. So we had to do that for our first secondary suite because we were not aware about that. And then we found the text on one of the documents they sent us where we said, well, this is not required. So getting the knowledge first in advance before starting anything this is very important and don't overestimate your numbers in terms of first renovations and secondly rents because when we started putting our numbers you know we were using 1400 for a basement unit a two bedroom basement unit and then quickly we figured like hey we made a mistake there and I don't know if you remember, but we went through you to get a tenant and yeah, we had to drop our rent by 400 bucks. We had to rent it to uh, out of grant. Well, it was a very difficult time because it was in January, you know, like people were not moving, but still that's one of the things that I will do different. I I'm doing differently today is, you know, estimating my numbers for the renovations as as usual you know like put always a higher number and don't don't go too far in your rents yeah it's interesting i always i i as you know being a property manager i i am called upon and requested to provide quite a few comparative market analysis per week almost daily and I always like to to be a little bit conservative because people are making decisions on my numbers, purchasing decisions sometimes, you know. And if I tell somebody, you know, I think this is going to be eleven, twelve hundred dollars, um, and they want to get fourteen, it doesn't mean they can't. But I think it's it's an important lesson out there for an investor to do your numbers at a conservative level. And if you're able to get a little bit more, that's great. 
but you want to uh, future-proof yourself. You want to recession-proof your rent if you can and, and evaluate your investment at the more reasonable number. And if you get more, that's great. You know, um, Same thing that you're talking about renovations. Um, what happens if it takes a little bit longer and you have more holding costs or the price of lumber increases just in that one month and your contractor comes back to you with a change order? You know, you you don't want the, the the project to be unsuccessful. Absolutely. Yeah, very well said. The other piece of advice is, again, about the rents. And it's great what you're saying. Like, first, put a number on your sheet saying how much I need to break even. It is very important because you will know from the beginning if you're trying to stretch too much or not. You know, if if you have to price a three bedroom at fifteen hundred dollars just to break even, you probably have an issue there. So you're either pushing too much on your ARV, or you're pushing too much on your rents, or it's probably not the right deal for you. So be very cautious about that. Oh yeah, one other piece of advice I would say is. And because I had a lot of issues this past spring, like, you know, like 50% of the houses in Winnipeg, uh, we got a lot of water all around. And one of my secondary suites that we just renovated in December was flooded in the basement because we, like, we didn't know, but the, um, all the weeping tiles were collapsed and we were getting the water from, from the drain actually and like we didn't know uh, where it was coming from uh, so we had to dig around put new weeping tiles put you know like uh, a, a sump pump so whenever you could put the sump pump and you know drain the water outside your suite like you know how to drain your water from the house to outside is very important you know the downspouts and all that kind of things are very 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 important we didn't do it properly for this house and we paid cash so yeah you don't want to take it for granted and i think a lot of people who are going into the acquisition phase with the secondary suite at the back of their mind they just think oh it's a basement right and for a rental in an older area with an unfinished basement, you get a little bit of, of, of water that comes in. It's not a big deal, but this is livable area now you're talking about. And, uh, you know, if you don't fix it, you get infiltration of mold and mildew and breathing air problems. So, so let's, let's transition to the uh, last part of the interview here. I'm, I'm interested in you as an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, you come to this country you're, you're, you have a dream like most of us do. I know you like to learn. I see it on social media. You're you know, very thoughtful and purposeful uh, in what you do every day. How do you gather your knowledge to learn and improve? You know, where do you go to find valuable new info? Uh, yeah, all over the place, I would say. But I guess your first source of info is the people around you. You know, if you surround yourself with great people, you know, like you, whenever I have a question about property management, about, you know, dealing with tenants, uh, I come to you. And that's the same thing. If I need to know something about electricity, I go to a good electrician, same for HRV. 
And I try to surround myself with like-minded people, you know, people who are nice, who are eager to share, because it's it, it has to be win-win anyway. Like, you, you don't want to be bothering someone with too many questions and not offering him also your your help somewhere, you know. Even if, you know, like, for example, you, Garrett, you probably, you will probably never need me in the future. But if someone, you know, is looking for a property management company, for example, it's going to be you because you helped me before, you know. So that's how we help each other. And we also get the knowledge. So that's your first source of uh, knowledge. My second source of knowledge has been connecting uh, with like-minded investors, but through um, a coach, uh, through a coach. Uh, so I'm part of um, a program. I will not name it here, but uh, we 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 had to meet like many many people, like great people, and we started our journey together. You know, we were exploring everything together, and it has been you know, a great adventure for all of us. And the third thing is always internet. You know, internet is just full of information, um, but you have to clean a bit. You know, it's not, not everything is uh, reliable. Yeah, you can't believe everything you read. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. If you could pick up the phone and talk to, you know, the 20-year-old version of yourself, what would you tell him or her the next time uh, you... uh to make the next 10 years of their life very successful. Oh my god, it's it, we will need <laughs> uh, we will need another podcast for that. Um but uh, yeah, one thing I would say is be who you are, you know, be resourceful, uh stay positive, help other people because we were talking about this before we started the podcast, but you know, the, the more you give, the more you get. There's no secret and it, it, it th there is really no other secret than you know being resourceful, being helpful, and you know surround yourself with uh, with good people. Learn a lot, read a lot of books. I haven't done that a lot when I was younger. I'm more you know a computer guy. That's how I was I was learning. But books are a great resource, and you know, marry young. <laughs> I think that's what helped me, you know, I, Ports, I, have yes. a, I have a great wife who, you know, supported me for the last, oh boy, 14 years. We've been married for 14 years now and we've been together for 21 years. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's the biggest achievement for both of us, I would say, but mostly for me because I, she, She's my queen, you know. She she she's the one who made everything possible. Yeah. Wow. No, that's very heartfelt. Okay. Well, uh, we'll end off with this. I like to ask every guest this question, and I'd like to hear what you have to say. Uh, this is uh, the Win Podcast. So, how do you define success? What does winning look like for you? Success and winning is being remembered as a great person. You know, it's not about money. It's not about, you know, winning something or winning a cup or, you know, having X number of doors. 
that's not success for me. Success is, you know, having your kids proud of you, you know, uh, when they go out and someone talk about them or talk about you to them, you know, being proud of their dad and, and mom and, you know, having only positive feedbacks about their, their parents. To me, this is success. This is reaching a level of success that not everyone is capable of. And because we, we find ourselves, you know, lost sometimes, you know, chasing money, chasing, I don't know, like gold and cars and women. And, but that's not, that's not what life is. You know, life is about the great times that you spend you with your loved ones. And life is also about helping others. That's what makes me happy. That's what makes me successful. When I see a smile on someone's face, when I'm proud of someone who I help, and that's when I'm proud of myself. Well, very, very well said. Yeah, no, it's, I almost brought a tear to my eye, but yeah, I mean, family and um, your legacy. I mean, that's really what it is, right? To be remembered as a good person, thoughtful, a family person, right? Well, I'd like to thank you very much on behalf of the podcast and our listeners um, for hanging out with me today. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much, Garrett. I did too. Okay, take care. You too. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to win is not only about helping you to win more, but win actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.